Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and here are recording this show on Friday, October 15th, 2021. This week's show begins on kind of a sad note. We lost two huge talents this week, didn't we? Yes, we did. It was not it was not a great week for for legendary um, people in the animation sphere, but they all had they had very long and productive lives, so I, I'm heartened by that. That is true. So should we go ladies first, or do we want to talk about Mr. DePatty first? Well, why don't you talk about Mr. DePatty because I don't, I don't know if as many people know about him. All right. Well, David H. DePatty started his career at Warner Brothers Animation back in the early 1960s. Ironically, just as they're getting out of the theatrical short business, we know him today largely because he teamed up with Frizz Freeling. He was one of the very first animators to work with Walt. He actually worked in the Alice comedies as well as the Oswald shorts. Frizz eventually decamped from Disney and wound up at Termite Terrace, where he helped uh, the talented animators at Warner's launch the Looney Tunes series. Warner Brothers closes its animation studios in 64, but Dave and Frizz team up to form DePatty Frilling Enterprises. They are working out of the exact same building, Termite Terrace, that, that all of the great Warner Brothers shorts were produced in. But the character that puts him on the map is the Pink Panther, created for the title sequence of Blake Edwards' March of 54 comedy. The character gets spun off in, immediately into its own series of shorts. And the very first short in the series, The Pink Fink, gets released in December of 64 and takes home that year's Oscar for Best Animated Short. Before Richard Williams took over, didn't he do the intros? Yeah, he did Return of the Pink Panther and Pink Panther Strikes Again. But again, DeFrilling did uh, Saturday morning cartoons, uh, likewise animated specials like 1970s ones, The Cat in the Hat. Uh, we also know them from the title sequence of the original I Dream of Genie. But here's the thing I didn't know uh, until just this week. The Patty Frilling did the lightsabers effect for the very first Star Wars movie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I'd never seen that up until now. Anyway, the Patty Frilling gets bought by Marvel Studios in 1980, which then renames this animation studio Marvel Animation. So, Drew, that makes the Patty Frilling Disney property now, right? I guess so. It's hard to figure out who owns what. These days, especially in historical context. Okay, so that's Mr. DePatty, but we, we also lost a, a genuine Disney legend this week. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Ruthie? Or? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody saw Bob Iger tweeted out about her, which I thought was really crazy. She died at the age of 111, which is how I think you and I will be that age when we finish the show, Jim. <laughs> So she was born in Portland, Maine back in July of 1910 and was recruited by Walt Disney himself to come be an inker at the animation studio. Ruthie spent almost 40 years working at Disney, quickly rising through the ranks to become an animation checker and later a camera technician. And she eventually became the supervisor of feature animation scene planning department. And yeah, she's worked on every Disney feature film. From Snow White to The Rescuers when she retired in 1975. That's amazing. And she was lauded for being a, a female pioneer in the film industry and was officially named a Disney legend back in 2000. Pretty amazing, don't you think? What I love about Ruthie, though, is that she kept current. In fact, she eventually ends up at the motion picture and television fun country home. 
But in her 90s, she's working on their in-house television channel. She's the one doing tech work. She's the one working with Final Cut Pro, putting together short films and ads for the, the people in the community. When she passes away earlier this week, she's 111. She's the oldest member of Women in Animation. And Ruthie is one of a handful of people on the planet who experienced two pandemics. She survived the Spanish flu in 1919 and the COVID outbreak of 2020. And Drew and I offer our sincerest condolences to the friends and family of David H. DePatty and Ruthie Thompson at this sad, sad time. Turning to a happier topic, earlier this week, you got to talk with friend of the show, Josh Gad, and you got to talk about his next project for Disney+. Plus. Olaf Presents. Can you tell us a little bit about this new series of animated shorts? Yeah, I mean, the whole concept of this new series of shorts is based on when Olaf was recounting the events of the first Frozen in Frozen 2. So this time we have him telling the stories of Tangled, Moana, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and The Lion King. So I'm pretty excited. And, you know, they were directed by Hiram Osmond, nephew Mm -hmm. of Donnie and Marie, who did... The At Home with Olaf micro shorts. I think he animated those all himself. Crazy. Crazy. So these will be debuting on Disney Plus November 12th, which is, of course, Jim, I know you've got it circled in your calendar, Disney Plus Mm. Day. Oh, God, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. I I have to admit, I I love the promotional line for Olaf Presents. It's like his interpretation of the classics is classic. Now, again, you actually got to talk with Josh about this next set of shorts. Ola Presents touches on three of the hand-drawn films from Disney's second Golden Age. So we got Mermaid from 89, Aladdin from 1992, and Lion King from 94, and then two CG films from Disney Animation's, what might might argue is the third flowering, uh, 2010's Tangled and 2016's Moana, but nothing from Disney's first Golden Age. What did Josh have to say about that? I believe he said he wanted he wanted to do like Cinderella and Pinocchio, but they said, no, Josh, you sit hmm. there and you make funny noises. <laughs> um, but he said, you know, there's a possibility that he could be back for further short films. So I think we mm-hmm. just have to cross our fingers and hope that not only is the are these shorts widely embraced, but that... Josh and Hiram and the rest of the creative team get another crack because I know you and I would love, I would love to hear uh, Olaf try to explain Saludos Amigos, Jim. Uh, you know, that would be very funny to me. So we uh, we will have to wait for that, though. <laughs> okay, okay. I can get behind that. If there's a second season of Olaf Presents, we'll share that news as soon as we hear it. And speaking of news, the news portion of today's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. By the way, no disrespect intended by saying if there'll be another season of Olaf Presents. But, you know, to be honest, it's always kind of a crapshoot when it comes to these streaming services. I mean, I'm still waiting to see if we get a, a season two of The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom, which which was narrated by Josh. Likewise, A Dog's Life with Bill Farmer. I really enjoyed both of these series. I'd love to see them get a season two. Speaking of Bill Farmer, are, are you familiar with Streamly, Drew? No. What is Streamly? I don't know, okay? But earlier this week, Nancy is sitting there with her phone 
watching Streamly, and who's on Streamly but our buddy Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy, likewise the voice of Hop Pop on Disney's Amphibia. While Bill's on there, and he seems to be autographing photos for fans of Goofy, but while he's on there, he's talking about how there's supposedly a documentary in the works about the Goofy movie. Evidently, Kevin Lima, the director of that film, has tons of behind-the-scenes footage when it comes to the making of this 1995 Walt Disney Pictures, Disney Movie Tunes release. And you did a story of size about that for yes. a didn't you? Uh, Vanity Fair. But yes, Vanity I, Fair. Yeah, yeah I, I encourage everybody to, to look that up. We did. Uh, mm. I talked to Kevin Lima. I talked to mm. Bill. And I talked to Don, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a really interesting look at... Uh, just how sort of under the radar a Goofy movie was and how it's become such a cult sensation in the years since. Bill was actually talking about that, mentioning how it it started out as a sort of a plain Jane goof troop movie. But over two years, and did this bear out in your research, 40 different recording sessions? Oh, wow. He talked about how over those two years, it it became the sort of father-son buddy movie that we all know and love today. By the way, he pointed out that the difference between, say, the, the Goofy movie and the extremely Goofy movie, that direct-to-video release from February of 2000, first film, two years, 40 sessions, second film, only four recording sessions, and then boom, out the door it goes. Bill does mention as part of the Streamly session that Kevin's A Goofy Movie documentary is still a year or so away, so gotta wonder if maybe this will turn up on Disney Plus as well. Maybe he'll make a Monkeys of Mumbai documentary after that. I would love that. (laughs) And by the way, Bill also said that his favorite line out of a Goofy movie is, how many cups of sugar does it take to get to the moon? Bill is also very, very excited about the third season of Disney's Amphibia, which uh, got underway on the Disney Channel back on October 2nd. Says there's lots of great moments, touching scenes coming up in, in this season of the animated series. And... Speaking of animated series, did you see the trailer that dropped today for DreamWorks Animation's latest sort of spinoff of the the How to Train Your Dragons film franchise, the Dragons the Nine Realms? I got the press release. I didn't get a chance to watch the trailer. I'm glad that there are still Dragons adventures out there in the world, but I have not gotten a chance to check this one out yet. What did you think? I'm kind of just intrigued by the the premise do you want to read the log line on this thing which this one is is set in a different time isn't it yes it is actually set 1300 years after the time of hiccup and toothless and it starts off in the modern world where dragons are now just a legend when a geological anomaly opens up an immense miles deep fissure in the earth's surface Scientists from all over the world gather at a new research facility to study the mysterious phenomenon. Soon a group of misfit kids brought to the site by their parents uncover the truth about dragons and where they've been hiding, a secret they must keep to themselves to protect what they've discovered. That is much crazier than I was expecting, Jim. I gotta say that. Same thing here. And again, we've talked about Adventure Time on the show previously, and, you know, because of your association with Pendleton Ward. But what's kind of interesting about Dragons and Nine Realms is fans of Adventure Time will probably want to check out this show when it premieres on Hulu and Peacock. In fact, we have a date on that, December 23rd. Is that right? Yes, Jim. You can, you'll be in your footy pajamas, I think, around then and just 
curled up watching Dragons and Nine Realms. You laugh. I, I came within inches. I, I just. You ever seen? They have that a Christmas story. The the horrifying pink bunny outfit. Yes. They make that in adult sizes now, and I recently came across one, and it came very close to becoming a Pepto-Bismol nightmare. <laughs> anyway, back to Adventure Time. Jeremy Shada, I believe I'm saying the name right, he voiced Finn on Pendleton Ward's animated series, but he's voicing one of the leads on this How to Train Your Dragon spinoff. Speaking of television, did you catch the show on ABC earlier this week, the, the, the special they did about a, a night at the Academy of Motion Picture Museum? No, I actually want to go to the museum for myself at some time point, and I feel like I'm just living through people's Instagrams and won't have anything to actually marvel at when I get to the museum. But please let us let us go through and ruin several other things that are at the museum, Jim. <laughs> there is clearly a lot to see. Today, we're just going to touch on what they showed for the animation galleries. And mm -hmm. everybody in town wants to be represented. So, for example, there's this gallery where they have maquettes, and they showed Shrek and Fiona, and Anna, Elsa, and Olaf from Frozen. Did you notice the Shrek was the Chris Farley version of Shrek? I was wondering about yeah. that. In fact, the Fiona's fairly early as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and they have a Bugs Bunny maquette from the 40s. In fact, I'm fairly certain this is the Bob Clampett era of Bugs. Oh. A bunch of uh, Jack Skellington heads and Toy Story was represented, but it was represented by a maquette for Looter Larry and Woody as Ventriloquist Dummy. Oh, good. So if you need a one-stop shop for nightmares, go to the uh, <laughs> animation section. I think you and I talked previously about how we missed the zoetrope from California Adventures' Magic of Disney Animation. That just disappeared one day. Yeah. And, well, now here it is. It's on display at the Museum of the Motion Picture. I think the first time I saw it, do you remember when it was at uh, the MoMA in New York as part of the Pixar exhibit there? That's right. I still have my little catalog from that that uh, exhibit. That was great. That was a great exhibit. I just wanted to bring up that here they have Danny Glover narrating the animation portion of the show. And so the camera now shows Danny standing in front of Frank Thomas's desk. And Danny makes a point of going, well, this is on loan from Pete Doctor. Pete Doctor himself have helped select the images that we use to, to talk about the history of Toy Story and... It's that John Lasseter thing all over again. Remember how you'd go to a Disney event and you'd watch somebody on stage sort of turn themselves into a pretzel to, to work in a reference to John Lasseter? Yeah. Well, did you see that Pete was at the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary? Was For he really? some reason? Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. It just gets kind of obnoxious after a while when, when you're the new boss and the people who work below you want to credit the new boss and so that they will right. shoehorn a reference into, wow, this cheese sandwich is amazing. And, you know, you know who likes cheese? Pete Doctor. Pete Doctor picked out this cheese himself. Uh, from <laughs> there, there we go. Though I do want to point out that the animation exhibit at the Museum of the Motion Picture does make an effort to show that animation didn't, in fact, start at Disney. In fact, they make a point of playing up Windsor McKay and Gertie the Dinosaur film. Likewise, Lottie Reniger, who worked mostly in silhouette animation, I think that hers is 
the, the really the first ever feature-length animated film, the, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which got released in 1926, whereas Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which a lot of people think of as the first full-length animated film, that was until 37. Somewhat more controversial, though, is they spent a lot of time in the animation exhibit sort of leaning into exploring the less savory aspects of, of animation history. You know, for example, Pepe Le Pew and all of the various animated men who chase after Betty Boop are cited for sexual violence or unwanted affection played for comedy. Uh, there's also a lot of talk about how racist caricatures are, are used in cartoons of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and the like. But we are putting this stuff in the front window with the hope that we will learn from the past and leave that kind of history behind us. So when do you you see yourself getting over there? Well, before the Miyazaki exhibit leaves, obviously. Yeah. There we go. The museum officially opened on September 30th. The Miyazaki exhibit, which is the first of its kind in North America, that runs through June 5th, 2022. They've tried to make it both kid and adult friendly. There's a thing that Miyazaki likes to do in his film to create these deliberately quiet moments. You as the audience are supposed to be able to feel the emotions that the characters on screen are having, but you do that through these quiet moments. They've created this spot in the museum where you supposedly can do that. It's a faux grassy hillside that you're encouraged to lie down on and then look up because Studio Ghibli has created this faux blue sky filled with clouds, and you're just supposed to sit there and have your own... I think uh, the Japanese word for it is ma, quiet of moment reflection. and That's pretty funny coming from an animation studio that literally worked people to death. Um, <laughs> I think that is hilarious. Um, but I appreciate the sentiment. I love Studio Ghibli movies, of course, but... Uh, that makes me laugh, Jim. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> speaking of the Studio Ghibli films, all 11 of them are currently streaming over here at HBO Max. Netflix, though, you know, has a lot of great animation coming up. And, and in fact, on the second half of today's show, we're going to talk in depth about some of these the streaming services' upcoming animated projects. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. And Drew, you you spent a good chunk of this past weekend paying attention to what went on at DC Fandom, right? Oh yeah, I did. It was it was sort of a non-event, but I thought that Batman trailer was very cool, and mm-hmm. we got some new information about uh, the new Bruce Tim animated series called Batman Caped Crusader, which he described as being more Batman the Animated Series than Batman the Animated Series, which I think is something that you and I are very excited about, given our love of that seminal 1990s animated series. I'm intrigued by the more Batman than Batman the Animated Series. That's That's a ridiculously high bar. Yeah, he says they're, you know, they're going more more authentically 40s kind of in hats and blimps mm-hmm. and all this stuff. and uh, But that the casting is going to be more inclusive and more 2021, which I think is just the perfect way to do mm-hmm. it. So I just cannot, cannot wait to see what they cook up uh, between him, J.J. Abrams, and Matt Reeves, hopefully coming in the next year or so. This is a virtual event that started back in, in June of 2020. It was kind of Warner Brothers and DC's answer to the fact that Comic-Con, the pop culture thing that's hailed in San Diego because of the pandemic, was canceled last year. And so they did this one, even though we are still getting Comic-Con Special Edition. That's right. And I think there was a Comic-Con virtual edition earlier this year too I think, yeah comic-con right? at comic-con at home but it's kind of interesting to me that the fact that tickets to comic-con special edition went on sale september 25th comic-con tickets typically when they go on sale they sell out like in an hour right i mean or at least yeah. the four-day badges you know that sort of thing and it kind of says a lot to me about this particular version of the event that we are three weeks after they've gone on sale and they're still available? Yeah. Well, I think it's a it's going to be an uphill battle because you're going to you're talking about the first Thanksgiving some people will be able to spend with their loved ones in 2 years. Uh, you're asking them to kind of put that aside to go see people dressed up as Star Trek characters <laughs> walking around a convention center. It's just not it's not the biggest draw, I think. But it's it's very depressing because you know so many of those businesses and restaurants and bars and hotels oh, no, 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 de- no. depend I- on that uh, that draw. So I don't know. Yeah, I I'm I will not be there, but I I understand the need and desire to to want to go and participate. Mm. But yeah, it's it's weird that it hasn't sold out yet. Just this past weekend, there was New York Comic Con. One of the big reveals at that event was they I guess they showed the first two episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah, we got to get people from Prodigy on on the show. I agree. And speaking of getting people on, I uh, folks, all right, I just I I'm sorry. While Drew spent Saturday paying attention to how how long were you on a fandom you know the, I was, it was 10 to 2 jim it was a lovely way to spend my saturday on skype okay. or on uh, on uh, on slack yeah but go ahead 
Okay, so he spends four hours watching Fandom. I, on the other hand, spent four and a half hours on Sunday watching Maya and the Three, which is this nine-part miniseries that's going to debut on Netflix this coming uh, Friday, October 22nd. Did you see how Maya and the Three has been described? It's Lord of the Rings only hilarious. Yes. And it was the first time it's like, it's a real bullet point. I mean, it's true. Yeah. This was one of my favorite things I've seen all year. It comes to us from Jorge Guterres and his lovely wife, Sandra Aguilla. She's actually the creative consultant and it was a designer on the show as well. I could not wait to talk to these two, all right? I prepped questions because, again, it was so good, so enjoyable. And I'm an idiot, all right, who can't tell time because I was sitting here waiting for it to be the time because it's on LA time. So I'm sitting here waiting for it to be 5.50 so I can hop on Zoom to be with Drew and so I can interview Jorge and Sandra. And uh, not 10 minutes ago, I get a phone call from Drew who basically says, you missed our interview. And it's like, <laughs> what do you mean I missed our interview? It's not starting for another 20 minutes. It's like, it's LA time. It, it, okay, do the math between Jim. You add three hours to 140. <laughs> is that 540 yeah. or is that 440? And it's like, ow. Yeah. So what you're about to listen to, and by the way, thanks so much to the very nice folks at Netflix for setting this up. But this is Drew. He's vamping because he's waiting for me to show up. Yes, I did. I let the record state, Your Honor, that I did send a text at 1.52, two minutes after the interview started, saying, are you signing on? So had Jim, I'm going to buy, I'm going to have to buy you an, an Apple Watch, Jim, so these will pop up, you know, it'll vibrate on your wrist. But See, this is the yes. thing. I do the thing where I put the phone in the other room because I have a sound engineer, a certain Aaron Adams, who keeps telling me to put the phone in other rooms because it will turn up and make noise. And, and I did that. Well, let me also state, Jim, not that yeah. you are an elderly man or anything, but uh, you have you do have health problems from time to time, and I was more concerned that you had like fallen in a ditch or something. So I when I called you, I was no. I was just relieved to hear you your voice, you were okay, you were alive. Mm. That was what is important to me. I'm alive, but I'm I'm so disappointed because again, Let's let Drew talk with with Hori and Sandra to do and let them explain why this honestly, folks, this is appointment viewing. This is something I mean, I realize four and a half hours is a huge chunk of time, but you really need to, to set aside the time to see my in the three. But let's listen to Drew and Hori and Sandra explain how this ridiculously ambitious animated series came to be. Good to see you finally. I feel like we're interacting on Twitter all the time, so it's nice. I to know, see I know, face to face, face to face. Yeah. Face to face. <laughs> Drew wrote uh, I think very, we're very saying... kind words about Maya. Oh, I, that's really. Nice I loved it. Yes, it is. A, it is quite an accomplishment. Um, you should both be very proud, and um, I am sure that it is. It is a relief that it is finally over, right? Well, I mean, we keep joking. It's not. <laughs> it's, I think it's just started. <laughs> Wait, it's like, oh no. Just, we, we've been pregnant for three years, and this baby's got to get out. Yeah, it's like, you're like, oh, how lovely it would be to have a child. And then when it's finally out, you're like, oh, my gosh. Here comes the rest, the rest of it. Yeah. Well, what else do you have to do? I mean, are there toys coming? I see, I mean, 
there's a lot of interviews happening. And interviews, then, just how people react to it, you know, like. And then the right. award season is. I mean, we've started award season, so it doesn't yeah. feel like we're going to be done promoting for a while. Right. One thing that I loved that you guys did that I wanted to ask you about that people don't do a lot, and it always makes me weird, question why they don't. Is you you went out of the frame. You, oh. you you went into the black and I was yeah. wondering where that came from. What was the inspiration and right. how did you decide when to do it and when not to do it? So I wanted to do it a ton on Book of Life and, uh, you know, 20th Century Fox Studios, which no longer exist, wouldn't let me. So uh, this was my revenge uh, <laughs> to be able to go in there. And then I remember when, you know, 3D movies were a big deal. And, and studios were trying to figure out how to sell that to people at home. Mm -hmm. They literally had stuff go into the black. Mm -hmm. And I found mm -hmm. it super weird and funny. And so for Maya, I said, well, what if we treated that seriously? And what if we used that as another element to tell the story? And obviously like I'd seen, you know, Samar Jack or Scott Pilgrim versus the world sort of play around with that stuff. So for us, it was, well, let's literally put it in the scripts mm -hmm. and let's use it as another form of you know, just like music and, and, and color and, and sound, let's use it as another tool to help tell the story. Mm -hmm. So when a big deal happens, we have characters break it. And then in the fights, whoever's in control, the frame gets bigger for them. And at the okay. end, you know, Maya does her final thing. Literally, yes. the frame opens for her. She's bigger than the film. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. And it kind of pulls you in in a really fun way. Oh, bless. And it's surprising. Yeah, I mean, and it's surprising Fox didn't let you do it because I feel like Book of Life is the, the biggest example of that, too. Uh, not Book of Life, sorry, Life of Pi, where the Yeah, yeah, where Life the of Pi did it. Yeah, the fish are coming out, and he yeah. does, I think he does, like, six different aspect ratios or something, like... And by the yeah. way, I argued that, and they said, uh, Book of Life is for little kids, and they're going to get confused. That's the argument they gave me. Well, can you talk about what it was like working with Netflix? I mean, you're obviously both part of this amazing kind of stable of creators there that are doing things in animation. Oh what God. was that like? It's, it's, been, it's been remarkable. And honestly, we've never, I, at least in my 21 years of career, I've never been trusted like this. Yeah. And, okay. and it's a double-edged sword, which I love, which is, hey, if you do something terrible, it's your fault. We trust mm -hmm. you. And if you do something awesome, hey, you did it. So I will take that over the other one, which right. is we control everything. And if it's great, it's because of us. And if it's a mess, it's kind of because of you. Like that's basically the other world where I came from. So this is right. very, very different. I'd also like to add that it's like, I've, I've said it before, but it's like a golden ticket that we got yeah. where Jorge was like asked to go ahead and pitch some something, whatever came out of his head. I think that that's uh, not very common because it could scare a lot of people, you know, like if you just blurt out where you have an idea and blurt out, he did, you know, like he came up with this like epic. epic, crazy idea and he pitched it out to them. And, you know, Netflix was open-minded enough and and gracious enough to say, sure. And by the way, when I, shot. for anybody who's seen it, I pitched the ending. That's basically how I pitched up. I go, this is how really? it is. And the ending to Maya is not a traditional ending, right? There's no season two coming. So yeah. most people freak out. They're like, what? What if it's a huge hit? What if we want to make more? It's like, no, no, no. This is contained. This is like Seven Samurai. 
There's no right. Samurai 2. Like, this is just one. Right. Maya and the four is not coming. We should warn nope. people of that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the four. <laughs> well, I've heard other creators, and you know, I've, t- I've spoken to so many people that are working on th- animated things at Netflix, that there does seem to be some camaraderie and some back and forth between creators. So I was wondering, did you guys show this to other people working at the studio? What was is there any feedback that you remember from any of these screenings? Uh, what, what was that process like? So early on, I was part of basically one of the early generations. So I got to show, uh, you know, the first version of this to Elizabeth Ito from uh, City of Ghosts, to, you know, Megan Dong from Centaur World, Kirk McCracken from Kid Cosmic, uh, Chris Williams from The Sea Beast. Uh, and it was, it was kind of crazy. It was a crazy time because we were all basically given carte blanche to make our dream projects. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to derail anybody and you want to be incredibly supportive. Yeah. So right. I don't think any of us gave anybody I any- I think everybody was scratching everybody's back, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, right. I'll I think most of our interactions were like, I can't believe they're letting us do this. I can't believe they're letting us do this. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was definitely a magical time. And then uh, Henry Selleck was, uh, you know, who's my, basically one of my giant living heroes. So being able to like have lunch with them and show them stuff, that was insane. I don't know. I don't know if that world will ever happen again because it was a magical time. Yeah. But man, I feel so lucky I, I got to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody else that's working on a Netflix animated movie is your old buddy Guillermo. And I was wondering if he uh, saw early cuts or offered any suggestions or anything like that. Obviously, he was a huge cheerleader for Book of Life. So I was wondering, did, did that continue? Yeah, I mean, we, we had okay. a catch-up lunch maybe a year ago uh, when I had enough footage. You know, this is, he's my hero. So yeah. I was like, Guillermo, I, I want to be able to show you some stuff. And he's like, okay, show it to me. You know, this is, <laughs> this is mid-COVID. So it was a remote lunch. And I showed him, like, I don't know, it must have been like 10 minutes worth of footage. And I was like, what do you think? I was super nervous, right? And he goes, Gordo, this is so you. It's perfect. And that was it. I was like, we're on the right path everybody <laughs> well i could say you know like knowing him that was probably true because he's very blunt he has yeah. absolutely no filter <laughs> especially no with filter especially with jorge like if he doesn't like it he'll just blurt it out yeah he'll go right. like, go to the why you poop in my face with yeah. this stuff. <laughs> well i was wondering so it's not real it's a movie i guess broken up into seven part nine parts nine. is what you say right yeah. okay and it, and, it, and it has a feature level of animation. And I was wondering how kind of logistically you broke that down. I mean, I'm assuming it is not a $300 million movie. So how no. you kind of like <laughs> made that happen. You know what I mean? Because so if, you, we, if we, you made a nine hour Pixar movie, I mean, I don't think there is enough money in the world to pay for that. So I was wondering how you kind of made that happen. We, we made it work like a movie. Honestly, it was, we treated it like a four and a half hour movie. Uh, you know, I was directing every episode. The board artists, instead of doing episodes, they were doing sequences mm-hmm. of all nine at the same time. So we wow. really looked at Lord of the Rings and we said, hey, they made three, three movies at the same time. I'm a, I'm a bearded fat guy. If Peter Jackson can do it, I can do it. So... <laughs> His logic, I swear. The wow. math is solid. I mean, it's, it's airtight as far as I, I'm concerned. Yeah. Story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but the, there's there's kind of a sad coda to this which is that your animation studio shut down afterwards yeah. and i was wondering what was your experience with them did you try to kind of intercept on on behalf of them with with netflix so <laughs> you know as much as you can say what what kind of happened there well, I, I'm heartbroken. Those guys are brilliant. Tangent Animation in Toronto and Winnipeg did remarkable, incredible work. And so as after they delivered, and this happened, right? Future projects with Netflix didn't didn't work out. I was devastated. because uh, these are these become your your friends and your, your literally family. your family. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, that collective group has, of course. And obviously, to, obvious to everybody, everybody found the job immediately because there's so much right. work happening over there. But that collective, like they were the freaking Beatles over there. So that that's that's the, the most sad thing for me that that collection of people that grew that spend you know they did Next Gen and then they did Maya. They were they were brilliant together. So I. I'm I'm heartbroken as everybody else. Not to mention, I, right? I wanted to make my next movie over there. So. Not to mention that, like, when you're working with somebody and you have like this wonderful chemistry with them, and you created this nice dance that you have with them, where they say, "I will give you this," and I will, I you give me back this. Like it, they had such a good fluid yeah. uh, rhythm going on, mm -hmm. and then for it to just end, and then like, yeah, was... not not be able to work with that again, it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, you as a as a designer and a creator, I imagine do not uh, do not uh, give them easy tasks. I mean, even with the the design of all the characters, I don't think you've ever seen characters in CGI that are that bulky that have that many kind of layers. I, I mean, it's really it's a, it's amazing. But I mean, I, it's, it must have been hell for these poor guys having to animate this. I think they're used to it by now. I, you know, <laughs> you, you come into my cantina, you know what kind of drinks you're going to get. Right, so, right. And, was there any was there any design that was too challenging for them? They said, we cannot have that many skulls dangling off of this character. Well, I mean, what usually happens, as you know, is the character designers, uh, their stuff gets a little bit watered down by each department. So that they're right. easier to light, easier to animate, easier to blah, blah, blah. Because I'm a character designer and I'm the director. <laughs> Lucky. Uh, <laughs> Must be nice. I don't let anybody water down the character designs. And and honestly, yeah, it's it's why the stuff looks the way it looks. Uh, another th weird thing we do is we design the characters, literally, Santa designs the girls, I design most of the, the dudes. Mm -hmm. We design them first as I'm writing. So by the mm -hmm. time... It gets to, like, when I pitch Maya, I had a maquette of Maya done. I'm like, okay. this is what the character looks like. This is what the ending of the show is. If you don't like the way she looks and the way it ends, tell me now, and we'll shake hands and we won't work together. So I basically go in with a look already established. Okay. And, and these characters are really, really crazy, but we always talk about, we love sculptures. And so they should work as a sculpture by itself. A still. And yeah. if they right. move, then it's a bonus. But the sculpture right. has to work by itself. This is why we need toys or something. Please, yes, for sir. the love of God, get, get in touch with Sideshow or something. We need oh, yeah. uh, we need Alfred Molina's, you know, face to open yes! up and all that. <laughs> um, can I can I ask what some of the inspiration was? I mean, obviously you mentioned Gendy's Samurai Jack. You can definitely feel that. But I mean, 
this kind of the scope of inspiration seems really broad everything from kind of giant monster movies not to give anything away but you know to these more personal stories what were what were both of you looking at during the production of Mayan 3 so for me, honestly, I went back to the the, the, the epics that I love. So I rewatched uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. There's a lot of spaghetti western stuff in Maya. Uh, I definitely went back to rewatch Seven Samurai. This idea of armies and people making a difference, even though there's hundreds and hundreds of characters. Uh, I also went back to my anime favorite. So I rewatched uh, Ninja Scroll, which make you know uh, writing right. specific demons. There's a lot of references to that. Uh, and then another big one for me was Baron Munchausen. Uh, the really? alien version of, of these characters <laughs> that are good at a certain thing and this leader who's flawed well you forgot and yeah and, and then obviously we went back and we watched Wizard of Oz because Maya is Dorothy and then the three are basically the Tin Man this character on the line mm-hmm. right but a lot more murder than in uh, and with a, oh, hey, hey, Dorothy shows up and straight up murders that poor witch was true. doing nothing bad <laughs> Well, I mean, did did you think of this as an epic initially or or was it the kind of carte blanche freedom that Netflix gave you that said, yeah, I can make this nine parts? I mean, was what was that? You went both ways. No, no. I, I mean, honestly, I literally was like, this is the, you know, the mother of all animated epics. Yeah. Epics having epic babies. Like, I, I, I basically... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went in. I went all in, and it was even bigger. I have to admit, it was they, really they, what you guys are seeing is those poor writers. Too, yeah, man. thanks to Sandra, we kind of, we kind of, uh, I kind of grounded it a little more, and uh, and there were a lot more deaths before. Yeah, really. Okay, even more. <laughs> even well, you know, you start off. I think we can talk about the first episode because yeah, that it's the first thirty minutes, but. You know, you're killing off all of, uh, all of Maya's brothers. Pretty, that's pretty hardcore for for a, a show that seemingly little kids can watch. I think everybody yeah. can enjoy it. But yeah. what, were there discussions about how intense to go? Yeah, and I, I kept bringing up Bambi and, you know, I, I kept yep. saying, well, we're not as bloody as Finding Nemo where they murder 500 the babies and the yeah. mother. Like, yeah. that's nothing compared to that. And right. then I also said, as a story, if you, you know, because animation is full of fake deaths. Yeah. If you have characters die early, then the audience knows the stakes are real. Yeah. Yeah. You have no, to admit that the, that the movie was like, I mean, the series was a roller coaster of emotion. And <laughs> yeah. you need to have those deaths in order to have that, that right? I mean, I, I always reference uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Guillermo, you know, one of the things he did in that movie that's brilliant is one of the first deaths in that movie is a helpless old man, right? The right. captain kills him with a bottle. And the rest of the movie, you're like, holy cow, Anything if that can happen. happen to someone that innocent, what will happen to everybody else? Dude, Game right. of Thrones, right? right. Like, it's it was true. like, yep. what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and you, and you do have a beautiful, you know, because you have this element of the spirit world you know, just because the characters are gone does not mean they're totally gone. And exactly. you make that so clear in a way that like, yeah, they're still sort of around, but nobody's coming back from one of these battles, right? Yep. Yeah. You, yeah. you can zoom with them, but they're, you're, you can't have them. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, have you started thinking uh, about the next baby after completing this journey? 
Oh yeah, we're uh, we're working on a new movie for for Netflix animation, uh, and it's gonna be pretty crazy. And spoiler alert: there's Mexicans in it. Oh my god! <laughs> is this for? Is this another all ages? I mean, would you like to yeah. do? Yeah, a, I take uh, it. Okay. Okay. It, and then we're doing a bunch of stuff with different departments, one of which is the adult animation department. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff coming, uh, but it's we're way, way, way early. And of course, if Maya does really well, I think they're going to trust me. If Maya doesn't do well, then, you know, I, I might not get to do some of the more crazy ones. <laughs> well, I think I think they'll trust. I mean, what what does an, an, an adult animated Jorge project look like? Is it just... Oh, it's uh. It's, okay, it's, when he pitched it to me, I, w- I felt like you felt. Oh my dirty. God, Warhey, that's yeah. not right. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, not right. Like, there is like really adult like ideas in there, and and it's not like him, you know. Like, I didn't know that that part of his brain existed. I, I'm, this I'm, is who you're married to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like discovering that you're. Yeah, this enchilada <laughs> has a lot more flavors than you thought. Yeah, like <laughs> I thought I knew him, and then he pitched that to me, and I was like, oh. But then you were like, can I design it? Yeah, I did. And then, and now you are. Yeah. Now Don't I am. Okay, yeah. of course. Well, I mean, I think animation is in a pretty good place this year, especially because it was one of the only things that could keep happening during the pandemic. Have you guys? been watching a lot of stuff has have there been stuff that have been inspiring you as you're going along this journey uh i have to say mitchell's versus the machines uh really knocked my socks off i had heard about it for years uh and it was even better than i had dreamt it was going to be and then demon hunter uh the anime <laughs> I <love> hooked. It. <laughs> i'm so hooked i'm like what did happen next uh, <laughs> Is it like the, it's like one of the biggest hits in what China or something, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I saw that it dethroned the Miyazaki movie Spirit Away as the biggest box office hit in Japan. Uh, the movie did, and I was like, How dare they bump Miyazaki? I gotta see what this is all about. And then okay, okay. I saw the movie and I was like, This makes no sense to me. I need to watch the series. And then I watched the whole series, and now I'm like, and now you're hooked. I love this. <laughs> Well, you mentioned uh, the uh, awards campaigning that you are about to embark on. Um, what what is is this going to be submitted as a, a show as a movie? Yeah. Do you know, like, okay, what what is it? So it's going to be a TV show. It's going to be submitted as a TV show. So uh, okay. other TV shows, we're coming, we're coming for you. Okay, okay. Is there ever any chance of some kind of theatrical exhibition? For oh I mean, Netflix is buying How? up the theaters. How is that going to work? Uh, like a four and well, a what if you did like, you did like one night? You I see. I'm just programming this already. You did one yeah, night, yeah, yeah. You did like half of it, and the next oh, night, the other wow. half. I mean, London Film Festival showed four episodes in a row, and it went really well. And then I just went to the Guadalajara Film Festival. And I saw it with a full audience, first two episodes. Weren't you on the balcony? And I was on the balcony and people were laughing and cheering. And, and you know, we, the idea from the beginning was a lot of kids and especially people like us, we discovered movies on television, right? I saw Good Man, the Ugly and Seven Samurai on TV. We didn't see them at, at a revival house uh, right. cinema because we just didn't have those. So the idea from the beginning was let's pretend these were movies. And now you get to see them at home. And what have you have you interacted with people that have watched some of the episodes? I mean, what has that been like? 
I mean, if you they both sur- gave up survived. three years of your life, right? Yeah, like, they survived. They were actually like a lot of them had under eye circles. Yeah, a lot of them had puffy eyes. They binged it. Because they, they like, binged it. And then right. obviously, like some people are angry. They're like, "I want more." I'm like, "No, no, right. that's that, that's just it." No, you have to make more. It's like, sorry, the restaurant's closed. Right. It was a pop-up. <laughs> pop-up. But you could you could do something else in this world, perhaps, right? I mean, I just read there's Gladiator 2 coming. So oh, like, right. <laughs> shut the door. Oh my God. So anything is oh, possible, is- Drew. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I saw somebody on Twitter, uh, somebody that I follow has already watched it twice. So, I mean, that that's pretty that's pretty hardcore. Oh my God. Um, what aspect of this, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, uh, this is a very Mexican story that I feel like a lot of people will see themselves in that aren't represented a lot. What is your favorite aspect of Maya and the Three or the thing that you're most excited about people sort of getting out of this? Um, I'd say just that it's like a, a cornucopia of a lot of detail and that they're going to okay. be able to go back like that person you just mentioned and like every time <laughs> they go back from, is that you, Drew? Did you watch it's it not twice? me. It's not me. Yeah, I've only done it once. So my name is Druella. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you. I would tell you. I don't know. But that they're going to be able to go back. It's like a little present that keeps on giving. And every episode has like details that you didn't see the first time. So the more you watch it, the more you get from it. My my dream is I saw Seven Samurai in Mexico City. My dad put it on for me. I watched this thing Japanese with Spanish subtitles. And afterwards, I I declared to him, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a samurai. So my dream is that a kid in Japan, nine years old, watches this and then comes out and declares to his or her, her parents, I, when I grow up, I want to be an eagle warrior. And if that happens, Satisfied. Done. like done. done, you can but you just kill me and, and I'll die with a smile. <laughs> well, can you give us a little, like a hidden detail that people should be on the lookout out for maybe in the first couple of episodes so we don't give anything away? So there's a there's a El Tigre Easter egg on the first episode, and then okay. there's and there's a big Book of Life Easter egg on episode eight. Okay, now see now I have to go back and rewatch them all there you again. Go, Drew. <laughs> How many skulls is too many skulls? Uh, so the villain has six hundred and sixty six, and I honestly think he could have used a little bit more. And there is not enough skulls in the world. It is, a, wow. it is an itch that will never be scratched. <laughs> what is it about skulls that is so appealing to you? No, I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell what? you. I... So <laughs> there's a saying I love that every Mexican has death in their ear, whispering, live. So I oh. like skulls everywhere, basically, to remind everybody, this is going to end, guys. You got to make it count. What about aesthetics? Right. Yeah, it's just something iconic about it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a great line uh, about, you know, life being short and that's what makes it special. Yeah. And I feel like that is yeah. something that, yeah, yeah. Death and that, lives, uh, that, life value. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, without death, there'd be no value to life. Right. And I feel like people, we've all been living with that certainly over the past couple of years. And I feel like this is a great oh, yeah. way to like process some of that. Um, 
so you said that you wanted to make it even bigger. Can you give me some of these deleted episodes or ideas that just couldn't fit? So <laughs> wow, that uh, is a lot of head shaking. Uh, so <laughs> then, the battle for starters. Well, the battle there were going to be. I mean, honestly, there were going to be just more gods and more. Okay. Uh, there was going to be this crazy gauntlet, and then we were going to have gods from other cultures. So it was going to sort of imply that there's a whole network of gods and they all know each other. So like American gods. And then, <laughs> and then at some point we had this ridiculous, ridiculous, like Mexico was a giant robot in itself. Like it was- That's gonna, amazing. Wow. No, I was yeah. like, no. Yeah. You stop there. So stop that, there. that's what she was like, put the tequila down <laughs> and let's make something that we can actually make. Yeah, that's him getting a little too carried away. I just thank God, seriously, when he gave me the scripts to read, there were so many names in it and there were so many people and there were so many characters. I'm so happy that the characters are so identifiable in the series. Yeah. Because if, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for the, 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 the look of, and the visuals of them, I would not be able to identify them because they're well, just. Yeah, there's a lot, but you do the, also the, the kind of cold open that kind of establishes each culture. Yes. Was that always a part of it? Or was that something that you found you needed as you were kind of going along? I think you always wanted it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I love in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, how you get introduced to each of them. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do that with all the gods. I'm going to do that with all the worlds. Like, you know, it's part of the world building. Plus, it helps. Yeah. It helps. <laughs> yeah. It almost reminded me, you know, I'm sure you've seen and loved the, the William Friedkin movie, Sorcerer. Oh yeah. Each each character has like twenty minutes of setup before they even get to the jungle. Love, it was sort I, of like that. I'm so happy that movie's been sort of rediscovered as a master. Yeah, it's so great. Um, well, can you can you tease anything else that that's coming down the pike that we should be on the lookout for? And where do we send our letters demanding? Uh, but Maya and the the three action figures. <laughs> so we we you know we signed with Netflix for a while. So we're definitely we're doing a movie, hopefully a series, maybe an adult thing. Uh, okay. That's all we can say. But there's okay. a lot of stuff coming. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well. Thank you so much for putting this out into the world. I absolutely adored it. And it's so great to talk to you face to face. Anytime you need to chat about something, please let Aww. me know. I am always available. And Sandra, it was so nice to meet you. You're likewise. And you guys enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon, I'm sure. You too. You have great energy. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. I have all of these questions because I really, really <laughs> love that show. Well, listen, let's. Well, well, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll reach out to Jorge today. He and I are kind of buddies, and we'll. He he will be on this uh, promotional tour for a while. He says for for uh, awards consideration and everything else. So we'll we'll try to have him back, and we'll see if okay. Jim can redeem himself much in the same way that Maya redeems herself as the eagle warrior in Maya and the three. But um, yes, I agree with everything that Jim said. It is, it is appointment television. One of the, one of the most impressive uh, animated feats of the year, I would say. Um, no, no, no ab absolutely. From, from the first episode where, you know, you establish the world. In fact, I mean, I love that there isn't a character in this that doesn't get a full arc. It is ridiculously confident storytelling. Yes. And yeah. let's also remind folks that this isn't the only ambitious animation that's coming from Netflix in the coming months. We have Summit of the Gods, which begins streaming on, on that service on November 30th. 
Likewise, we have Ardman's sure-to-be-charming holiday special, Robin Robin, which drops on Netflix on November 27th. Keep an ear out for future episodes of fine-tuning where we may bring on the, the filmmakers associated with Summit of the Gods and Robin Robin, and I will go out and, maybe and get Jim myself... maybe show up, yes. Well, that's please. right. I'm going to go out and get myself a watch. So, <laughs> I not believe I missed this interview. Anyway, if you're looking for a great podcast to listen to you till new episodes of fine tuning that perhaps i might even make an appearance on uh show up may i suggest drew taylor's terrific light diffuse so what do you got on light diffuse uh this week well, this week we're talking to uh, Ben Rosenblatt, who's a really fascinating character, and he's he was an executive at Bad Robot and oversaw VFX for uh, Rogue Nation, and he worked very closely with Tom on Ghost Protocol. So we get a lot of amazing stories, including who was almost hired to be the secretary in Ghost Protocol, and it's an even bigger star than Tom Wilkinson, so you definitely have to check that out. We were shocked. We were shocked to learn who they wanted, so yeah. All right, folks, if you could do, Drew and I have a favor. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, well, not just uh, fine-tuning, but also light diffuse, that would be incredibly helpful. Social media-wise, can you tell folks how, how to find you there, Drew? Sure. It's uh, Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt, on Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I put up some pictures from uh, Oogie Boogie Bash and have talked about Maya and all this other stuff on there. So please, please take a look. As far as you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And that's going to do it for, for this week's edition of Fine Tuning, folks. Thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>